Well, I want to welcome everyone again to Northridge Church, wherever, however you might be joining us. We are glad that you are here. My name is Nate. I'm our Webster campus pastor. Shout out to everyone in Webster. Hope you guys are having a great morning. Hopefully Jason isn't breaking too many things over there and that things are going smooth for you guys. But uh, we're glad to have everyone here. I'm excited to have a chance to get to speak and to be able to wrap up this series that we've been in over the last seven weeks called The Mind Game. And man, we have covered a lot of different ground. And I hope that this series has been helpful to you in being able to understand God's word more clearly and more fully so that your mind can be renewed and even over the last four weeks as we've been zeroing in um, on the conscience and this gift, this tool that God has given to us to help us better be able to understand what is right and what is wrong. I hope it's been helpful to you. Maybe you've even been listening, maybe a little bit more closely to your conscience, or maybe you've been able to align and calibrate your conscience uh, more closely with what God desires uh, for, for you and for your life. And today what I want to do as we wrap up the series is kind of just pick up the conversation with where Daniel left us last week and dive a little bit more deeply into how do we handle disagreements with other Christians? How do we handle disagreements with other followers of Jesus Christ? And I think one of the things we have to understand is that disagreements are inevitable and even acceptable in the church. So how do we take the laws of conscience, these principles that we have been learning over the last several weeks, take them and then apply them practically in our everyday lives when we bump into disagreements with other, other followers of Christ? How do we do that, right? That sounds great in theory, but practically, how do we do that? What does that look like? How do we relate to people that don't see eye to eye uh, on issues with us? How do you relate to that person in your community group that views an issue a little bit differently than you do? That friend of yours that's a part of our church, what do you do in those, in those situations? What do you do when your conscience allows you to do something, but for someone else, they're not able to do that? Or when your conscience doesn't allow you to do something, but for someone else, man, it's, it's no issue at all. And so as we enter into this discussion of disagreements with other, other followers of Christ, I think it, it's so helpful for us to have a framework around what are the issues, and then based on that issue, that then informs the type of response that we, we should give. And I think there's a helpful framework that can guide us through this. In fact, um, Andrew Nicelli, he describes this in his book called The Conscience, which we've referenced a few times. He calls it theological triage. Theological triage, and I think this is so helpful to us in thinking through how do we respond to different issues that, that we face, and all of us have experienced tri triage to one degree or another. If you've ever been to the emergency room, or if you've ever taken one of your kids to the emergency room, I know I've had that privilege on a few different occasions, right, you've seen and experienced triage, this idea that the most severe needs or injuries get looked at or treated first. For example, maybe you were out and about, one day doing something and you twist your ankle and you twist it and you're like, man, I heard something pop. I'm not really sure that didn't feel good. Man, I'm in a ton of pain. Maybe I broke it. You head to the emergency room to get it checked out. You get there, you do the paperwork, you sit down in the waiting room to see, man, there's a ton of other people in the waiting room. And then you're, you're there and you're waiting and you've been there over an hour now when all of a sudden the doors of the emergency room swing wide open and here comes someone on a stretcher with a medical team around them and they immediately go back and they receive immediate attention. Why is that? Well, that's medical triage, right? Certain injuries, um, based on what they are, receive a certain level 
level of care. That's triage. In fact, we do this as parents all the time. All the parents out there with the young kiddos, you know, right? You know the difference between a kid when they're making noise or playing, like either they're just whining or they're complaining or ah, they're not really, they're not really hurt. You know, they'll be fine to that sound or that cry when you're like, oh no, okay, th- this is an issue. And you respond immediately to step in and to help that, that child with whatever just happened, right? That's parental triage. Well, the same is true when it comes to principles and truths in God's word, that there are certain principles and truths that should be prioritized. We would call this theological triage. In fact, the Apostle Paul does this and models this for us in the New Testament. An example of this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, look at what Paul says. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So if we notice here, right, Paul uses this phrase, first importance, right? This helps us understand the reality that while everything in the Bible is certainly important, not everything is equally important, that there are certain doctrines and truths that are more important than others. I think another way that we could think about this is really in levels, that that there are three levels to theological triage. So you have your first level issues, right? We would say that these are essential to Christianity, Right? Meaning, if you deny one of these teachings, well, you really cannot be considered a Christian or a follower of Jesus. Here at Northridge, we would call this our core creed, that these are foundational truths of Christianity that are central to our understanding of Scripture regarding the Christian faith. Um, in fact, today, across all of our campuses, after our last service, we have our membership class. And as part of our membership process, we teach through our core creed and what, are, what those beliefs are. As an example, here's just a few of them. This is not all of them, but we believe in the Bible, that the Bible is our final, complete, infallible authority for our lives. We also believe that there exists one living and true God, and um, he exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe in Satan. We believe in sin. We believe in salvation through faith alone and Christ alone, and we believe that Jesus is going to come back again Someday. These are some of our core creed beliefs. These are first level issues that are foundational to the Christian faith. Then beyond that, we have second level issues. The way we could define that is these are non essential to Christianity. And notice I didn't say not important. These issues are very important, but they are not essential to becoming a Christian, meaning there are good, godly men and women that will have differing views on these second level um, issues. There are scholars, theologians, pastors that have different interpretations of what God's word says on these, on these issues. In fact, this is why there are different denominations. This is why there, there are different local churches um, and churches and denominations have formed around these second level issues, which I think makes sense. I think we can all, all agree that that makes sense, right? Because it's hard for a church to have healthy unity if the leaders and the members and the staff disagree um, on these issues. Here at Northridge, we would call these our distinctive beliefs. Our distinctive beliefs. They demonstrate our particular interpretation of the Bible in several different areas. And these distinctive beliefs are not universally held by all followers of Jesus. Some of them would include baptism and the timing and the mode of that. And how is that practiced in the local church? Uh, communion or the Lord's uh, table, which we will uh, regularly participate in here, here at Northridge Church. Um, end times. We all know Jesus is coming back, but there's a wide range of views on the exact timing of when Jesus is going to return. Gifts of the Holy Spirit. Are all the gifts still in play? Are some not? 
There are good men, good men and women on both sides that are love Jesus, that view that a little bit differently. Uh, how do men and women serve in the church, and what do those leadership roles look like? There are great churches, great men and women that will view that, that differently. Not every Christian has the same interpretation on these issues. But again, they're not essential to salvation. They're not essential to get into the gates of heaven. And godly men and women will view these issues differently. They're second level issues. And then beyond that, we have third level issues. And this would be matters of conscience, right? And this is where we've primarily been living throughout this, this series. And th this, these are issues where the Bible does not give explicit direction or instruction on a particular issue. You could call these gray areas. And this is really where you get into the practical matters of, of faith. This is where we as followers of Christ are trying to pursue God and try to live lives that are fully devoted to him. So inevitably, people will draw different lines in terms of what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, what's too far, what isn't too far. You'll get a ton of different opinions when it comes to these third level, level issues. Just a few examples, right? Is it okay to work on Sundays? Well, if you ask Chick-fil-A, they would say no, they don't operate on Sundays. Uh, is it okay to listen to any and all music? And where is that line? Is it okay to ever watch an R-rated movie? How early is too early for a kid to be able to have and own their, their own phone? Uh, homeschool, Christian school, public school, vaccines, yes, no. Should Red Sox fans truly be able to live in New York State? I mean, <laughs> like, right, these... You get the idea, right? These, these are important. I had to get my Red Sox joke in. Like every message, I'm like, I got to get one in there. Right? But these, are important, these are important issues, but they're also issues that, that can have a wide range of perspectives and a wide range of answers. And these are matters of conscience. And these matters of conscience aren't unimportant, but members of the same church, members of Northridge Church, should be able to disagree on these issues and yet still be able to maintain a healthy sense of unity and close fellowship with each other. Disagreements on third level issues should not cause disunity within the church family. And it is so easy for third level issues to become so deeply ingrained in someone's conscience. And whenever and wherever a group of people get together, remember, there's bound to be a lot of different perspectives and opinions on certain issues. And why is that? Let's, let's remember where we've been and what we've covered so far, right? No two finite fallen humans will ever agree on absolutely everything. Even a godly husband and, and wife who are seeking to love and please the Lord, they may disagree on many, many different matters. Um, as an example, a couple weeks ago, my wife Emily and I had a chance to go out on a date together. Just the two of us, some uninterrupted time together, we, we try to do that at least once, once a month. And so we had a chance to do that. And usually when we get together, we also just try to be intentional about that, that time with one another. So oftentimes we'll talk through different categories of our life. We'll talk through, hey, how are you doing? How are you doing spiritually? How are you doing emotionally? Anything frustrating you? What's been on your mind lately? We'll talk about life and work and ministry, how that's going. Always end up talking about our kids and where they're at and how they're doing. But this last time, we also spent a good amount of time just talking about COVID and the global pandemic and the implications of that in terms of masks and vaccines and what that means for us, what it means for our kids. And inevitably, Emily and I did not line up perfectly on all of those issues. We didn't see, see eye to eye. 
But if unity is the goal of our marriage, which it certainly is, then it means that we can come to a healthy sense of disagreement or have that conversation in a way that isn't just me like trying to convince her you're wrong and I'm right or her doing the same back to me. No, we can have a healthy dialogue, even understand our differences and yet still maintain um, close unity with one another. You see, we all have differing perspectives and backgrounds and personalities, even levels of understanding of God's word and his world. So you can guess what happens when a whole bunch of people group together that are, that are Christians and come together as the church, even a doctrinally sound church, even a church that is centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ, there will be many disagreements about many matters. In fact, we should expect disagreements in our church um, on issues on these third level issues, and we should learn to live with those differences. You don't need to eliminate disagreements, but you should always seek to please God by loving each other in the midst of them. And look, differences and disagreements have been around as long as the church has existed. In fact, the Apostle Paul spent a good amount of his time helping the early church through third level issues. We see it all throughout the New Testament. We see Romans 14 and 15. 1 Corinthians 8 through chapter 10, you see it in Galatians 2 and in Colossians 2, where Paul is once again coming to the early church and trying to help them navigate through yet another third level issue that was causing disunity and division um, within the church. And look, many of the disputable matters or these matters of conscience that the early church were struggling with are not the same issues that we struggle with today in the local church, but... Paul's solutions and principles that he shares with the early church, it does directly apply to the local church today. And so what I want to do is I just want to look at one example from Romans 14 where Paul addresses an issue. It's a third level issue. He helps address that issue and then he helps resolve it through some actions and through some solutions. And those solutions, I want us then to be able to lay over into third level issues we experience today to know, okay, how do we today work through these third level issues as a church. So uh, we're going to be in Romans 14, and the issues that we're going to be looking at are what we're looking at one. There's actually three issues that Paul's trying to address in this church. But um, the passage, the section is Romans 14 all the way through Romans 15, verse 7. We're not going to be able to read all of it. I would encourage you to do that at some point this week. But we're introduced to the problem I want us to look at and study this morning in verse 1 of Romans 14. Paul is speaking here, and here's the problem. He says, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. So that phrase, disputable matters, you could also interpret as matters of conscience. So right out of the gate, we know we're talking about third-level issues here. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. So little context here. In the early church, you typically had two groups of people. You, um, you had Jewish Christians, and then you had Gentile Christians. And the Jewish Christians, they tended to bring their strict religious background into their new Christian faith. And one of the things that they tended to bring over were the strict rules and regulations around what they could eat and couldn't eat that the law of Moses uh, talks about. For example, um, certain foods like pork and shellfish are forbidden. You don't, you don't eat those things. Uh, meat and dairy should never be combined together. Uh, meat must uh, be ritually slaughtered and salted eat only meat or poultry that is certified kosher, right? So they had all of these specific rules and regulations that they were trying to bring into their Christian faith 
But on the other side, you have Gentile Christians, and when you hear the word Gentile, just think anyone who isn't a Jew. Um, you have all these Gentiles that have no background or tradition at all, and so they're like, man, let's feast, let, let's, let's eat. Why are we getting bogged down with all these, these crazy rules and regulations? So a typical church in Paul's day kind of looked like this. There's a chart in the program notes if you're following along and on the screen that you'll see. Those with a strong conscience, as Paul defines it, you know, those I would say it's okay to eat everything, right? Because everything belongs to God. We can eat whatever we want. That would be most Gentile Christians. On the other hand, you have those, as Paul defines as a weak conscience, it's not okay to eat everything. So we want to keep some of our old food restrictions. That represented most Jewish Christians. Now, if these two groups were able to understand and see these differences and just demonstrate love and really spiritual maturity, right, and peace and honoring others, Right, if they would have understood that and seen that, Paul probably would not have had to write like 10% of the New Testament. But obviously, these two groups, they didn't see and understand that. And there was a problem, and people from both sides started to go too far. And they start, started to impose their freedom or their restrictions on the other side in a way that was not pleasing to God. And so Paul sees this. And he begins to see the church functioning in a way that God never intended for the local church to, to work and to operate in terms of the way that they're navigating through these third level issues with one another. And he's seeing, man, they're just living in a way that goes flat out against the gospel, which resulted in them kind of living in sin, which this next chart shows us. Those with the strong conscience, okay to eat everything, started to think, man, look, if you disagree, you're unreasonable and you're, you're, you're wrong, which led to the sin of arrogance in pride. But then those with the weak conscience, right, not okay to, to eat anything and everything. And look, if you do, you're actually sinning against God if you choose to do that, which led to the sin of being judgmental. So Paul sees this. He sees this divide. He understands both sides here are in the wrong, and they're viewing these matters of conscience in a way that does not please God. So Paul sees these issues that are plaguing the church, causing division, and here's what's interesting that we're going to look at. It's interesting to see what Paul does and what Paul does not do to resolve this issue, this third level issue within the church. And one of the things that we don't see him doing is just giving some generic blanket statement, like a rule or a law that would just like snuff out this issue once and for all. For example, he could have just said, you know, to you Jewish Christians, those who have a weak conscience, look, just, just grow up, wake up, start eating anything. It, it's fine. Enjoy what God has given you. In fact, we actually know that that was Paul's leaning. That was where he was really persuaded to land. In fact, he even says this in verse 14. He says, I'm convinced being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But here's what I love about Paul and his approach and his leadership, is if he had done that, he would have ignored the danger of urging Christians to sin against their conscience, even if their conscience was misinformed, which helps us understand this important point that Paul models for us is that we should help others train their conscience, but not force them to change their conscience. We should help others train their conscience, not force them to change their conscience. Or Paul could have gone to the whole other side. He could have gone to the other extreme and said, look, if you think it's okay to eat whatever, listen, you need to stop immediately because if you exercise your freedom, that might help someone or hurt someone that has a weak conscience. But again, if Paul would have gone that route, he would be limiting believers their freedom to enjoy God's blessings. 
and gifts. Um, I love what, what John Murray says in his book, The Weak and the Strong. He says, it doesn't do any good to be stricter than God. I think that's good. So what does Paul do? So what approach then does Paul take here to help this church through this third level issue? Well, instead of trying to create another rule or another law, Paul instead, he appeals uh, to love. And his main focus and concern was unity. And we see this repeatedly when Paul's addressing a third level issue within the church. He's always driving towards love. He is always driving towards unity. In fact, we see this in verse 19, which kind of anchors Romans 14. Look at what Paul says. He says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. That word edification just simply means to build someone up, that my actions or my behavior towards someone are going to be to build you up, not to tear you down, I'm not to bring you down. And notice, Paul nowhere here berates them, tells them to get with the program. In fact, he doesn't even tell them to change their mind, which I know for me and for many of us, that's like our tact. That, that, that's our approach to these issues. But instead, Paul goes a different direction. Paul's solution was love, not law. Paul's solution was love, not law. And in a moment here, we're going to look at um, a chart here that has three different columns where Paul offers a threefold solution to these issues that he is addressing here in Romans 14 to help stop this growing split and divide within the church. And these three columns are all rooted in love and in pleasing God, which result in unity within the church. And you can take this table and, and you can apply it to any third level issue. And God wants us to land in one of these three columns on these three positions. So let's look through this and talk through it briefly uh, together. So if you start in column number one there, those that would say, again, regarding this specific example in Romans 14, that it's okay to eat everything, Paul would say to those of you that, that choose to think that way, use your freedom because in principle you are right. But make sure you do not look down on those that choose to hold a firmer view on that issue. And the things that you must do are you must welcome them. You need to get along with them. You need to learn to appreciate their differing view on that issue. And you should also assume that they're choosing a different view because they believe that is what is pleasing to God. And so in their conscience, they are trying to live a life that brings glory and honor uh, to God. And, and when you do choose to exercise your freedom, don't flaunt it. Don't be, don't be in their face about it. Why? Well, that is not loving. That is not what promotes peace and what pr promotes unity. If you go to the other side, look at column three, um, to those with the, the, the weak conscience, or I don't know if I can eat anything and everything, right? You, you, even though you can be fully persuaded in your view of what you can and cannot eat, you must still be welcoming of others that choose to hold a differing view. And if your view and firmness is causing you to judge others or bring division, listen, you are sinning because that is the opposite of love. That does not promote unity and peace and mutual edification. And the things that you must do are you must welcome those that disagree with your restrictions. You should learn about their view and appreciate their background and perspective on that issue. And you should assume that they're exercising their freedom to bring glory to God because that is what they're trying to do in their conscience to please God um, with their lives. But then we have the center column, right? We have column number two here. And I would say that this column here really reflects the example of Jesus. This column reflects certainly Paul as he's trying to follow the example of Jesus and really should be the goal of every mature follower of Jesus Christ. 
This column really reflects and summarizes the whole first half of Romans 15, verses 1 through, 1 through 7, that we can be flexible. We can be flexible on these third-level issues for the sake of unity and to advance the gospel, that the goal for all Christians that we should be aiming for and shooting for is not just simply to stop judging those who are firmer or those who are more free on issues. Our ultimate goal is to follow the example of Jesus, who gave up his rights for others. Jesus joyfully gave up his freedom in heaven to come to earth. Even Paul, look, look at Paul's life. Even though Paul agreed with those that said, hey, it's fine to eat whatever, you know, you can eat anything, uh, he was also filled with Christ's love that compelled him to happily welcome or to give up any personal preference if it would result with unity within the church or if it would result in the advancement of the gospel to people who are outside of the church. In fact, Paul goes as far to say this in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 22. He says, look, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. So for Paul, when he was around the Jews, he was happy to be strict and happy to be firm. When Paul was around the Gentiles, he was happy to be free and to enjoy the freedom that he had in Christ. Paul's actions were rooted in love and they were rooted in unity. So how do we then take this chart and then lay it over and apply it to third level issues that we experience in the church today? Obviously our issues of matters of conscience are different than they were in the early church, but those matters of conscience will continue to be a reality in the church today and as long as the church is in existence. So how do we take what Paul shares and apply it to modern day issues in the church? Well, let's just talk through briefly a couple of different examples. One would be just the issue of education, that many, many great men and women that love the Lord, following Christ wholeheartedly within our church, view this a little bit differently. There are some that will say, man, I don't know that I can put my kids in with good conscience. I don't know that I can put them in public education. I just don't know that I can do that. I mean, they're teaching on sexuality. They're teaching on gender. They're teaching on evolution and many other theories. Like, I struggle with that in my, my conscience. Then you'll have some that will say, man, our kids need to be in public education. We need kids that are focused on Christ to be a light, to be an example to other kids that are far from God. We need their example and their influence in, in schools. Right, so you have two varying views there on this issue, right? It's a third level issue. You have godly men and women that are gonna view that differently. So what would Paul's solution to that issue be? Well, it would be, it should be rooted in love. And so wherever you are persuaded, you can be fully persuaded, but you should be welcoming of others that choose to view that differently and assume that they're doing it because they're trying to please God and bring honor and glory to him. Vaccines. There are godly men and women in our church that view this, this issue differently. It's a, third level, it's a third level issue. You have Christian men and women that will say, hey, you know, absolutely, it, it's no problem at all. Get vaccinated, it can be trusted, right? It promotes the health of our society and the health of individuals, it's safe, we, sh we should do that. Then you have others on the other side that say you shouldn't get them, it was generated too quick, do you even know what's in them? Can it really be trusted, right? What do you do? Well, it's a third level issue, so we must assume, again, if we're rooting this in love, like Paul says, wherever you land, you can be persuaded on that issue, but you must be welcoming of others that choose to hold a differing view than you do and assume that they are doing that because in their conscience, that is what is pleasing to God and bringing glory to him. All right, masks, right? Some of you might have even been wondering, like, is he gonna bring up masks? I wonder if he's gonna bring up this issue and, and talk about it. 
And uh, what's interesting is actually this issue is a little bit different than it was four or five days ago, right? And uh, it's an interesting one. And some might even argue, is this really a third level issue? Is it a matter of conscience? And look, I recognize that this is a tough one. There are a lot of people that have a lot of different takes on this. And I guess I'll address this issue by really just offering a question and, and just simply ask, what do you think the Apostle Paul would say to Northridge Church when it comes to the issue of masks? What do you think he would say? Well, I would think he would say, whatever approach or position you land on, it should be rooted in love. And it should be rooted in your fellow brother or sister in Christ. And does your view promote unity? Does it promote the other person, peace? Does it build them up? Is it promoting mutual edification or is it not? And if it's not, you have some work to do on that issue. You see, for Paul, whatever the issue was, Whatever we're facing, we must remember his words. I love the way he summarizes kind of this section and this issue in Romans 15. Look at what he says in verses 1 through 3 and then in verse 7. He says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up for even Christ did not please himself. Accept one another then in verse 7. Just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. You see, here's what I love about the Apostle Paul. In looking at his life and studying his life, Paul's life was not about him. It just, it just was not. It was not about him, what he wanted, his perspectives, or you know, his privileges and rights, or what his opinion was on issues. When we look at the example of Paul, there were really kind of two guiding principles that he continued to live out in his life over and over again. I put them in your notes in the form of questions just so that they can help guide us when we encounter these third level issues. And the first one is this, how does this particular action affect other Christians? So when it comes to my response on an issue, on a third level issue, is my uh, action or reaction or my behavior, the way I'm treating someone, is it promoting unity? Is it building them up? Is it rooted in love or is it not? And then number two, how does this particular action further the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is my response here, is it pushing people towards the gospel or is it pulling people away from the gospel? And my fear and frustration, if I'm being honest sometimes, is man, so many Christians will sacrifice their influence with people who are far from God over third level issues. And it just doesn't, that should not be the case. And if you wanna know what guided Paul's life, these were the things. Paul's overriding concern here in Romans 14 and 15 and throughout the New Testament and to us today is not who's right and who's wrong, he was concerned about unity and he realized the only way to achieve this type of unity within the local church was through love, not law. So with another brother or sister, we must remember the goal is unity. How does my response promote unity? Or how does my response or actions help further the gospel of Jesus Christ in the community and within you know, the people that God has placed around you. You see, our conscience, it is this tool, it is a beautiful gift that God has given us to help us understand right and wrong. And we hope, we hope these four weeks have helped provide clarity and insight to be able to more fully appreciate and understand this gift so that you can more fully live for God and also be able to love and serve your neighbor um, well. We hope this series as a whole has helped fill your mind with the truth of God's word and who he is so that your mind can be renewed so that you can live a life that is pleasing to him. And I thought, you know, as we end this series out, I wanted to end it in a similar way to, to how we began and started this series by leaving you with the, the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, verses one and two. 
This is what Paul says. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you are close and you are near and you care about all the details of our lives, even these little issues that are big issues and can be tricky to navigate and yet at the same time can result in unity or disunity. And God, you desire for us to not let these things trip us up and pull us apart. So God, I pray that you would help us to learn how to pursue unity and peace through loving actions when we navigate these issues as your body, as the local church. And um, God, I pray that we would lean on you, your strength and your spirit to help us in this journey, that it wouldn't be about us and what we desire, but God, it would be about pleasing you and seeking to honor others. Give us the strength to do that well. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.